0: CHAPTER ONE OF THE COMING OF THE LAW This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer, San Antonio, Texas. THE COMING OF THE LAW by Charles Alden Seltzer THE ARRIVAL OF THE MAN if the passengers on the westbound train that pulled up at the little red wooden station at dry bottom at the close of a june day in 18 were interested in the young man bearing the two suitcases they gave no evidence of it true they noted his departure with casual glances they watched him as he stepped down upon the platform but immediately they forgot his athletic figure and his regular featured serious face as their thoughts returned to the heat, the dust, and the monotony of travel. There was the usual bustle and activity, which always follows the arrival of a train. A mailbag was dumped out of the mail car. Another thrown in. Some express packages were unceremoniously deposited near the door of the station by the agent. The conductor ran to the telegrapher's window to receive an order, ran back, signaling as he ran, the engine bell clanged the drivers clanked the wheels ground and the passengers sighed and the train departed on its way the young man who had alighted stood motionless for a moment listening to the clatter of the wheels over the rail joints watching the smoke from the engine stack befoul the clear blue of the sky then he smiled grimly threw a rapid glance toward a group of loungers standing at a corner of the station and walked over to where the station agent stood examining some newly arrived packages do you mind directing me to the courthouse said the young man the agent looked up turned and ran a measuring speculative eye over the new arrival he noted the eastern cut of the young man's clothing and beneath the dust of travel the clear healthy white skin of his face stranger here observed the agent with a slight humorous narrowing of the eyes. Yes. No, I don't mind, resumed the agent, answering the young man's question. You won't have any trouble finding the courthouse. There's only one street in this town, and the courthouse is down to the other end of it. You couldn't miss it if you tried. He grinned with some amusement at the young man's back, as the latter, with a cordial thank you, returned to his suitcases gripped them firmly by the handles and strolled down the wooden platform toward the street ignoring the group of loungers at the corner of the station another tenderfoot remarked one of the loungers as the young man passed out of hearing they're running this country plumb to hell the young man strolled slowly down the board sidewalk that paralleled the buildings on one side of the street mentally taking in the dimensions of the town it was not an inviting picture. Many buildings of various descriptions snuggled the wide, vacant space which the station agent had termed a street. Most of the buildings were unpainted and crude, composed of rough boards running perpendicularly, with narrow battens over the joints. There were several brick buildings, two stories in height, bearing the appearance of having been recently erected. And these towered over the squat, one-story frames, in seeming contemptuous dignity. There were many private dwellings, some stores, but the young man's first impression was that there was an enormous number of saloons. He saw few people. Those who came within range of vision were apparently cowboys, for they were rigged in the picturesque garb that he had studied many times in the illustrations of Eastern magazines. He had admired them afar for there was something about them, something in the free wild life they led, that appealed to him, something that struck at the primitive in his heart. He had heard tales of them, travelers returning from these regions, had related sundry stories of these wild men of the plains, stories of their hardihood, of their recklessness, and of their absolute fearlessness, clothing them with a the glamour and romance that had deeply impressed the young man. His own life had been rather prosaic. He saw some cowponies hitch the rails in front of several of the saloons. In front of a store he observed a canvas-covered wagon which he recognized, from sketches he had seen, as a prairie schooner. In front of another store he saw a spring wagon of the buckboard variety. That was all. The aroma of sagebrush filled his nostrils, the fine, flint-like, Powdered alkali dust lay thick everywhere. It was unattractive and dismal. The town as it lay before him began in desolation and ended in desolation. Except that it was a trifle larger, it differed in no important particular from many others that littered the face of the world through which he had passed during the last twenty-four hours. It was a mere dot in the center of a flat grass country covering a vast area it sat serene in its isolation as far from civilization as genesis from revelation in the stifling heat of the lazy june afternoon it drowsed seemingly deserted except for the ponies and the two wagons and the few incurious cowboys who had rewarded the young man with their glances apparently whatever citizens were here were busy in the saloons as this thought flashed upon the young man his lips straightened grimly, but he continued slowly on his way, giving much attention to objects that came within his range of vision. The more he saw of the town, the less pleased he was with it. The suitcases were heavy. He paused in front of a building and set them down, while with his handkerchief he mopped the dust and perspiration from his forehead. He saw a flaring sign on the roof of the building in front of which he had stopped, and he read the legend with a smile of derision the fashion saloon several ponies were hitched to the rail in front of the building the bridle of one was gaily decorated with a bow of ribbon only a woman would have decorated a pony thus the young man decided with a smile yet what sort of woman would hitch her pony in front of a saloon he looked about him for some explanation and saw a vacant space beside him and beside the vacant space a store there was no hitching rail in front of the store therefore here was the explanation he heard a sound behind him and turning he beheld the figures of a man and a woman in the vacant space between the two buildings the woman seemed to be a little more than a girl for as the young man watched she turned slightly toward him though not seeing him and he saw youth pictured on her face and innocence though withal she gave the young man an impression of sturdy self-reliance that awakened instant admiration for her in his mind she was attired in picturesque costume consisting of short riding skirt boots felt hat woolen blouse with a flowing tie at the throat gloves and spurs it was not the sort of thing to which the young man was accustomed but she made an attractive picture and he took in every detail of her appearance with eager eyes it was some time before he noticed the man the latter stood facing the girl and he could not get a view of his face he had a gigantic frame with huge shoulders that loomed above the girl dwarfing her the young man remained motionless watching the two for there was something in the big man's attitude that held him the man turned presently and the young man had a glimpse of his face it was heavy featured coarse and an unmistakable brutality was betrayed in it the young man's lips curled he did not like the type and it was the girl's face that held him now that he had seen the man's he leaned easily against the front of the building not over fifteen feet distance from the two trying to appear uninterested but not concealing his interest he believed the girl had not seen him for though she had looked in his direction he was sure that her glance had passed him to rest on the pony at the hitching rail swift as the glance had been the young man had seen in her face an expression that caused him to decide to remain where he was until the girl mounted her pony no matter how long that time might be so he relaxed leaning against the building attentive listening though apparently entirely unconcerned over their conversation. The girl seemed moved with some deep emotion over something the big man had said, for her slight figure had stiffened, and she stood looking at him with an angry, intense gaze. The big man had been taunting her, for his teeth showed in a mocking grin as he hovered near her, apparently sure of her. It was like a lion playing with a mouse then the young man heard the big man's voice so you don't take kindly to my courting don't want anything to do with me at all his forced laugh had a harshness in it that caused the young man's muscles to stiffen he took a sly glance at the girl and saw her chin uplift with disdain do you think it's necessary for me to tell you that again she said a strange satisfaction thrilled the young man Sympathy for her drew his mouth into a peculiarly grim smile, but he had no time to enjoy his satisfaction, for the big man spoke, and this time he did not laugh. Well, he said shortly, you're going to have something to do with me, you're going to hook up with me, or I'm putting that crazy brother of yours out of business. The girl was suddenly rigid, and a deep red had suddenly suffused her cheeks. The young man's face paled at the threat his teeth came together with a snap and he leaped forward wishing to hear more of this extraordinary conversation more of it came quickly the girl spoke her voice even and well controlled though burdened with biting sarcasm what a terrible man you are to be sure to threaten to make war upon a defenceless girl and her afflicted brother but i am not afraid of you she took a step toward him standing very close to him and looking straight into his eyes she was fighting bravely for her composure but the young man had seen that her lips had quivered pitifully during her brief speech he stiffened with sympathy he could not of course understand this strange conversation but he could discern its drift and the suggestive underplay in the big man's words but plainly he had not been mistaken in his estimate of the young woman, she seemed entirely able to take care of herself. He crowded a little closer, though he knew that this conversation was none of his affair further than that he was interested, as any man would be interested, in seeing that the young woman received decent treatment. Certainly so far, she had not received that, yet neither had the big man said anything to warrant interference by a stranger. Stealing another glance, the young man saw a heavy revolver at the man's hip, and he did not doubt, from what he had thus far seen of him, that he would use the weapon should he turn and discover that there was a listener to his conversation. Such an action would accord perfectly with tales that the young man had heard of this section of the country, but he edged closer. The big man's face had become poisonously bloated. The girl's defiance seemed to have enraged him. Hell, he said venomously, you're talking damn brave. He leaned closer to her, and you think you'd be disgraced if folks knowed you was a friend of mine? He laughed harshly. Most folks are tickled to be known as my friend. But I'm telling you this. If I ain't a friend, I'm an enemy, and you're doing as I say, or I'm making things mighty unpleasant for you and your poor afflicted brother the young man saw the girl's hands clench saw her face grow slowly pale twice now had the big man taunted her about her brother and plainly his words had hurt her words trembled on her lips but refused to come but for an instant she forced her eyes to meet those of the man and then they suddenly filled with tears she took a backward step her shoulders drooping the big man followed her gloating over her again the young man's thought went to the lion and the mouse hurts does it said the big man brutally well you've brought it on yourself being such a damn prude he reached out and grasped her by the shoulder she shrank back struggling with him trying to grasp the butt of an ivory-handled revolver that swung at her right hip the big man pinned her arms and the effort was futile and then retribution like an avalanche, struck the big man. He heard the movement, sensed the danger, and flung his right hand toward his pistol butt. There was a silent struggle, a shot. One of the young man's arms swung out, flail-like, the clenched-hand landing with a crash. The big man went down like a falling tree, prone to the ground, his revolver flying ten feet distant. A little blue-white smoke curling lazily upward out of its muzzle. The big man was raised again, bodily, and hurled down again. He lay face upward in the white sunlight, a mass of bruised and bleeding flesh. The young man's anger had come and gone. He stood over the big man, looking down at him, his white teeth gleaming through his slightly parted lips. "'I think that will do for you,' he said, in an even, passionless voice. For an instant there was a tense silence the young man turned and looked at the girl who was regarding him with surprised and bewildered eyes the young man smiled mirthlessly i think i waited rather too long but he won't bother you again at least for a few minutes he saw the girl's gaze directed to a point somewhere behind him and he turned to see that a door in the side of the fashion saloon was vomiting men they came rushing out filling the space between the two buildings, cowboys mostly, with a sprinkling of other men whose appearance and attire proclaimed them citizens. The young man stood silent while the newcomers ranged themselves about him, others giving their attention to the big man who still lay on the ground. The girl had not moved. She was standing near the young man, her face pale, her slight figure rigid, her eyes wide and flashing the young man looked from her to the men who had crowded about him and he became aware that one of the men a slender olive-skinned cowboy evidently a half-breed was speaking to him he stood looking at the man saw menace in his eyes heard his voice writhing in profane accusation so you've shot big bill you tenderfoot said the man his right hand was hooked in his cartridge belt near the butt of his six-shooter the young man had been coldly scrutinizing the face of the half-breed. He had seen a sneering insolence on the thin, snarling lips, and he knew instantly that this man was a friend of his fallen adversary. He had smiled grimly when the man had begun speaking, being willing to argue the justice of his action in striking the big man. But at the man's vile insult, his white teeth gleamed again, and his right arm flew out like a flail the fist crashing against the half-breed's jaw like the big man the half-breed collapsed in a heap on the ground there was a sudden movement in the crowd and pistols flashed in the sunlight the young man took a backward step halted drew himself up and faced them his lips curling of course you'll shoot now he said bitterly he heard a rustle beside him and turned to see the girl standing within a foot of him the ivory-handled pistol in her hand her eyes flashing coldly i don't think that any of them are going to shoot she declared evenly her voice resounding in the sudden silence that had fallen big bill got just what he deserved and this gentleman will not be molested he isn't armed she said with a dry laugh shooting him would be murder and if he is shot I promise to avenge him immediately. She turned slightly, speaking to the young man, while keeping her eyes on the men around her. During the pause that followed her words, several of the men stealthily sheathed their weapons and stepped back. I think Big Bill is able to fight his own battles, continued the girl, taking advantage of the evident reluctance of the men to force trouble. Her face became slightly paler. As she saw the big man sit up, and stare about him. He got to his feet and stood, swaying dizzily for an instant, and then his gaze sought out the young man and was fixed on him with foreboding malignance. His right hand fell to his holster. Finding no weapon there, he turned and sought it, finding it and returning it to a point near the young man, the weapon in hand. As he halted, there was another movement and the half-breed was on his feet, dragging at his revolver the young man crouched prepared to spring and the big man spoke sharply to the half-breed quit it he said snarling mind your own business then he seemed to realize that the half-breed had been worsted also for he looked at the latter saw the dust on his clothing and grinned expressively so he got you too did he yuma his heavy features wreathed in a mocking sneer as he faced the young man. knocked me down,' he said in a silky, even voice. "Knocked me cold with a punch. Knocked Yuma Ed down, too.' He took another step toward the young man and surveyed him critically, his eyes glinting with something very near amusement. Then he stepped back, laughing shortly. "'I ain't shooting you,' he said. "'I've got an idea that you and me will meet again.' There was an ominous threat in his voice. As he continued shooting you wouldn't half pay you back, mark that young man, shooting you wouldn't half pay you back. He stepped away from the young man, motioning the other men into the door through which they had emerged to come to his assistance, and they filed slowly in without protest. The big man paused long enough to look again at the young man, knock me down, he said as though scarcely able to realize the truth knocked me cold with a punch he laughed his coarse features twisting into an odd expression well i'll be damned he turned abruptly and disappeared through the door through which the other men had gone for an instant the young man stood looking after him then he turned and saw the young woman standing near her pony regarding him with grave eyes thank you she said he caught a flashing smile and then she was in the saddle loping her pony down the street toward the station for a moment the young man looked after her and then with a smile he returned to his suitcases and was off down the street toward the courthouse which he saw in the distance end of chapter one